0: What's going on, everybody? Nathan King here from the Auburn Undercover Podcast. Wanted to just remind everybody about one of our great sponsors here on the 24-7 Sports Network, and that is Home Field Apparel. What is Home Field Apparel? You guys, are a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis that produces incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs like Auburn and all of their great logos and designs um, that they've had throughout their history. Homefield digs through the archives and history of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments to make thoughtful designs for your school. Obviously. One of their most popular collections is the Auburn collection now. Now over 20 pieces in total on their site, homefieldapparel.com. If you guys were anywhere on social media, you you were part of the Peacock movement. Um, If you're an Auburn fan of the Auburn basketball season, they've got a great Peacock shirt and Peacock hoodie that says Auburn Hoops. Easily my favorite design of theirs. Um, it's a great, great piece of uh, piece of work for an Auburn fan to pick up to commemorate this basketball season. You guys can still get 15% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com with the code Auburn Undercover. That's all caps, all one word, Auburn Undercover. Please go check it out. You guys love their product, have loved it for a really long time. If you guys have been anywhere in the world of college athletics in the past couple of years in terms of social media, like I talked about, they have been phenomenal. They've done a really good job of branding themselves and they back it up with a great product, and Auburn is one of their biggest sellers, like that new peacock uh, jacket I was just telling you guys about. So be sure to go pick that up. Get 15% off your first purchase. Again, promo code, all caps, Auburn Undercover at checkout at homefieldapparel.com. Here on the Auburn Undercover podcast, we are proud to be partnered with Prime Shrimp, a New Orleans-based shrimp company, to offer our listeners some delicious, easy-to-cook shrimp in just minutes. These guys have been peeling shrimp since the 40s, and they are excited to offer you guys Restaurant quality shrimp straight to your door in under 10 minutes without the usual mess and fuss. Take the frozen pouch out of your freezer, drop it in a pot of boiling water, and again, it's ready to serve however you want it in 10 minutes. You guys can head over to PrimeShrimp.com and with promo code Auburn247, all caps, all one word, you can get $20 off your first order. Again, that's code auburn four seven all caps, all one word for $20 off your first order. If you don't love it, get your money back. Their flavors include Signature Season, French Quarter Alfredo, garlic, herb, butter, and the Louisiana Shrimp Boil, which is personally my favorite. I'll tell you guys what I've done three or four times. Grab a loaf of French bread, bake it until it's crispy. Get some lettuce, whatever other toppings you want. Stuff some Louisiana Shrimp Boil in there and get yourself a po' boy. It is absurdly good. Get you some frozen French fries, pop them in the oven while you're making it, and it's super easy super tasty seafood meal in like 20 minutes by the time you're done with everything. Remember, guys, use code Auburn247, all one word, all caps, $20 off your first purchase at (laughs) PrimeShrimp.com. Welcome back, everybody. Another edition here of the Auburn Undercover Podcast on the 24-7 Sports Network. My name is Nathan King. We're going to continue our look at Auburn's 2022 regular season schedule. We got into the SEC schedule last time around when we were joined by Max Baker to talk about Missouri. And now we are not only moving on to the next game, the SEC schedule, moving on to the SEC West. First division game of the season. And this is the final game of Auburn's five-game home stretch. To start the season and it is against one of their biggest rivals lsu and so we've got matt Brune in today from go 24 7 uh the lsu 24 7 site matt thanks so much for joining us today it's um lsu is one of those schools pretty much them and usc along with a few others that are maybe a tier below um that dominated the off-season news in terms of a coaching change um brian kelly now is in there from notre dame you've had a whole spring with him obviously he got hired went through the whole spring now we're deep into the summer um, just I guess now that it's you know several months post mortem of, of of that hire and he's had an opportunity to entrench himself in that program. Um, what are your thoughts on on Brian Kelly? Obviously, it seems like a great move from the outside, but with you being on the ground there, what does the program think about him? And, and what are your thoughts on him heading into his first season?
1: Yeah, it's been about what, six or seven months at this point, and you know when they had the hiring process for a few weeks there, we weren't really sure where. Athletic Director Scott Woodward was going to go with this, and eventually he went with what he what he's been doing. Whether it's with um, baseball, with women's basketball, uh, really most hires that he's made at this point have been kind of you know splash type of hires. So to bring Brian Kelly in from Notre Dame is obvious was obviously a big deal, and getting to see him assimilate, getting to see him uh, kind of work through getting comfortable in Louisiana obviously he's been a Midwest guy his entire life uh, just and then him starting to build his program you know starting to figure out the recruiting trail starting to bring in transfers like you mentioned a very eventful offseason where they bring in I think it was like 15 16 transfers uh, 15 uh, freshmen and it was just every single day it felt like something was coming up so we got to see a little bit of Brian Kelly the recruiter a little bit of Brian Kelly the coach and Brian Kelly as now the Louisiana man, which is always, uh, which is going to be an interesting aspect. But at the end of the day, all that matters is can he coach this team uh, and can't, or can he coach this team up? Can he win games at LSU? Which obviously he has the track record of winning games wherever he's been. So I'm not concerned with that, but it is obviously a different animal, you know, recruiting and playing in the SEC. And that's why he took on this challenge. So I, I look at him as a guy who, was hungry to take on a new challenge. New LSU was a great opportunity for him, and I think he's done a great job, kind of uh, getting comfortable in this new setting uh, so far.
0: Has the has the Southern accent become a real thing for him, or, or do you expect that to make a comeback? Has it made a comeback, or was it just that one? Isolated? It has Where, not. That, made that was a an comeback. amazing day on Twitter. That it was. was great.
1: It was an amazing thing. <laughs> and the thing is, is as I think all SEC fans are kind of similar in this way if you win it doesn't matter what you do like he could come out in like a like a flamingo hat or something and as long as they go 10 and 2 like you know nope everyone's going to be giving him a standing ovation it's the you know so but hearing that i because i was there i was at the game i was at the basketball game where what happened i was like and uh, i didn't really hear it and then all of a sudden i get on twitter i was like oh he said family weird i was like ah yes and so now his like daughter was making fun of him on twitter for and everything so it's just been a joke at this point and you know if in 5 years if he ends up flaming out and nothing and uh you know they end up not winning games then we'll look back on that and be like see we knew at that point you know you can't have a midwest guy come in even though Nick Saban came in and was fine but still you you know and in 5 years if they end up winning a lot of games we'll look back on it and laugh and so it, it's hit or miss but yeah the the accent has not made a uh, return to this point
0: uh, well maybe maybe after some sort of good win we'll uh We'll get it this year. Yeah, be there's sure. no. He
1: should go in the press conference afterwards and be like, Absolutely. "That was a big family win," <laughs> something like that.
0: Yeah, after they beat yeah. FSU in the opener, maybe we'll maybe exactly. we'll get one of those. Um, yeah, I mean, there's it, the SEC is is definitely a, you know the weirdest conference because you'll have somebody like Dan Mullen show up in a in a Darth Vader costume. So when you said that about him showing up in yeah. whatever he wants, I would not put it past um, any of these coaches. Speaking of a guy who is not from the Midwest, a guy who has has Louisiana. As they come obviously it's no longer at orgeron at LSU after last season that was sort of a weird situation because it was one of one of the rare um, instances where they knew he was out before the season was even over but they gave him obviously the opportunity I believe it was mid-october that they that they made that announcement um, lSU ends up going six and six in the regular season and then losing their bowl game um so I, I guess all the Tigers in the SEC I did not even think about it Auburn Missouri and LSU, they all went six and seven last year. But um, they, they show Ed Orger on the door. Um, you know, speak on what you what you'd like to about Ed O, but really just what what was last season about for LSU and, and that team's identity? What kind of went wrong for them to to end up at six and six? Um, and how much of that do you think is permeating over to this year? How much how much work does Brian Kelly have to do based off last year's team?
1: I mean, I think there's a lot of work. I think we could start at the end of last year and kind of go go backwards in a sense because you you mentioned the bowl game. They had, I believe it was somewhere between 35 and 40 players, like scholarship players suited up for the bowl game last year. Um, And they didn't have a quarterback. So they had to have John Trey Kirkland play quarterback with a receiver, basically. So they basically ran a Wildcat set the whole time. And it kind of just showed the situation that this program is in. You know, not only do you lose your head coach um, after two years after winning a national championship, but you have guys dropping like flies because of injuries, because of transferring, because uh, they wanted the red shirt. And then obviously after the season, you have, I don't want to say an exodus because there's a lot more. There's a lot of teams that lost a lot of players, so it's not unusual. But, you know, you have some players leave like Max Johnson, at quarterback and so on and so forth. You have some decommitments whenever uh, Ed Rons fired in the 2022 class and so with that being the case, I to answer your, the last part of your question, I think there's a lot of work for Brian Kelly to do when he when he stepped on campus, and we saw that with the transfer portal. Obviously, they were I think they finished the year I think I think they finished third in the transfer portal rankings. Um, you know, obviously USC and I think Ole Miss were the top two. So you finish right behind them, and just shows you know you had 15 players that can help should be able to help you immediately, if not starting at least for depth purposes. I I look at that and be like, all right he knew he can't go in here and just recruit a freshman class you know this is not a team with enough top-end talent to play with any of these you guys you lose Derek Stingley you lose Eli Ricks you know you lose Damone Clark at linebacker go down the list of all the players that they, they've they lost from uh, last year even if a lot of them didn't play you had to bring in a guy like Jerick Bernard Converse and Makai Garner at corner and Joe Fusha and and, uh, uh, and uh, Greg Brooks from from Arkansas you had to bring in those guys to kind of replenish it but uh, to to get, bounce back to last year, real quick, to wrap it up. I mean, you, you kind of knew the writing was on the wall. I know some coaches have even said that after the UCLA game to open the season, like that was just kind of a tone setter. They are just not, they weren't good enough. And UCLA had a fine year last year, but LSU is supposed to be able to beat UCLA when UCLA is not, you know, not a hundred percent, you know, not playing at a USC level. So that one, and then, you know, the loss to Auburn I think was huge as well. That Bo Nix game was, was incredible. And then, and then the dagger really was that Kentucky game where they get dropped by Kentucky 42 to 21. They come back, beat Florida, but it didn't even matter. They fired over on that same weekend at that point. Um, you know, they hung with Alabama for a bit, you know, they, they hung with Arkansas and then they beat AM. And that kind of put a bow on the season, which was a really weird season to cover, just because of all the uncertainty and all the exterior factors going on.
0: Yeah, I was wondering what was that you know final uh, that final point where LSU said enough is enough in terms of Orgeron's tenure. Yeah, I don't know if you
1: watched that Kentucky game. That Kentucky game was awful. I think it was thirty-five to seven, like late in the fourth, Uh, and then they put on some some touchdowns. Like like it was. It was not good at all. Not good.
0: That was so Auburn went there October 2nd and won first time since 1999. Auburn had won crazy um, in Baton Rouge. Yeah, absolutely insane game. Um, and then, yeah, they turn around the next week, lose 42 to 21 at Kentucky. You mentioned the transfers, um, one of whom is coming in at the quarterback position. Then you had Mac Johnson leaving there. Everyone wants to talk about quarterbacks, of course, um, all across the SEC. There's a lot of quarterback battles um, and Auburn's got. Kind of a you know a direct association from last season with with yeah. TJ Finley now on their roster, um, kind of an indirect association with them getting Zach Calzada, Max Johnson goes to 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 Texas A and M, so little well, three way um, yeah, trade, yeah, the SEC West, just, right? They're just swapping around quarterbacks, but yeah. um, you know, it, it seems like a three man race from the outside, but um, I guess you tell me what the what the situation looks like at QB. Exiting the spring, I know they didn't exactly have everybody there. Maybe they did, and what you kind of expect out of out of fall camp, and 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 how you see maybe not a prediction for this battle, um, but who you might view as the front runner heading into the fall.
1: Um, yeah, it definitely is a three way, a three man battle here: Miles Brennan, Jaden Daniels, Garrett Nussmeyer. You know, I think if you ask fans, I think most of them would say Miles Brennan at this point. Now did I feel overly inspired by any of the three? Like, did I say that one of them was definitely going to be the starter? No, I didn't. They all bring very different things, right? Miles Brennan has five years of experience, even though he's only played three games. Uh, Jaden Daniels was a starter at Arizona state for two years and has incredible legs and mobility. Garrett Nussmeyer is the young guy that has some terrific arm and great upside and potential, but you know, you, you don't, look at this group and be like, all right, this is definitely the order here. I don't think anybody can do that right now. And not for nothing, I've been looking at this group. If you would ask me this question two weeks ago, I would have said Miles Brennan probably is the guy. But right now the way I, way I look at it is it's pretty dead even to me. Garrett Nussmeyer is really, really talented. And I think I'm not sure he's getting the credit that people really should be giving him at this point. He might have the best arm of anybody in that room. And with that being the case, I can see Brian Kelly. He doesn't have ties to these guys, you know. He doesn't have ties to Miles Brennan. Obviously, he brought in Jaden Daniels, so to a degree, he has tied to him. But you could look at Garrett Nussmeyer's spring game and just be like, "All right, that's the starting quarterback." If you only watch the spring game, Garrett Nussmeyer is the starting quarterback. Um, Jaden Daniels is obviously the runner, and Denbrock and Kelly have had Mike Denbrock, the offensive coordinator, and Brian Kelly have had some mobile guys in the past. Um, but there were some questions about his accuracy coming out, which I think were valid. Um, and then you get, but Jane Daniels does also have the most experience. And then you go to miles Brennan and Brennan is the old guy. He's the one that a lot of people expect to be the starter just because he's kind of the incumbent type guy, uh, that's returning. And he'd had those three great games in the 2020 COVID season against Missouri Vanderbilt and, uh, Mississippi state. Like he put up like 400 yards a game. So they're like, Oh, that transfers. I don't see that being direct. So I think it's a very open competition. Like, Nussmeyer and Brennan, and I could I could see an avenue in which any of these three start. It's really tough for me at this moment. I've never seen a quarterback competition like this. Like even at like you, we talked beforehand, I was covering North Texas. There were a lot of quarterback competitions after uh, Mason Fine left, and this is uh so I've been through plenty of them. This one has me perplexed to say the least. Is the goal for for Kelly? I'm sh- I don't know if he's been
0: you know concrete on this yet because. We're still far out from preseason camp, but is the goal to have a guy by the Florida state game, by the season opener, or could that be a situation where you're still playing a few guys in that game?
1: I think the goal, the goal is to have a starter. The goal is to have a one guy. And he mentioned that after the spring game that he wanted to get down to one guy. And I think that's an obvious goal to have. Um, The only thing is, if it is miles brennan he goes out and throws an interception three plays into the game or like you know doesn't have a good opening couple drives do you then turn to one of the other guys like i mean you see it all the time where it's like okay we're gonna give this guy a shot and if something goes wrong that's where you're really challenged as a coach are you able to are you gonna ride with him basically that's the question and i don't think any of these guys are good enough to be like this is the guy we're gonna ride with 100 and i so that's that's where I'm I'm at. I'm I'm not sure. I think all three of them will get snaps. I don't know if it's the best thing for this offense. Now the bigger question is with all three of these guys being such different types of players what does an offense look like built around Jaden Daniels? What does an offense look like built around Miles Brennan? What does an offense look like built around Garrett Nussmeyer? Because those are three very, very different players. Miles Brennan is more of a pocket guy, obviously. Jaden Daniels, you're gonna have to have a run element. Garrett Nussmeyer is really good on the throwing on the move. I, those are different offenses. And for not only do you have an offense that is um, has a new offensive coordinator, Mike Denbrock, but now you're telling me you have to, you know, for lack of a better term, put in three offenses it's not it's not ideal so I think a dream scenario I think what Kelly and them want is like within two weeks of fall camp be like all right we're starting this guy and we're gonna build our offense around him get packages for him maybe you know in the back end put some in for Daniels or whatnot but like I think you just gotta pick one and go to start to start the season and then just hope you picked right
0: what are you expecting out of Denbrock in that offense? What did you What did you see out of the spring that was a little different than the Edo um, regime? I know that Keishawn Butte re- returning was massive um, for them. Him still being on this roster, whomever wins the quarterback battle, you, yeah. you've got one of the best receivers um, in the SEC at your disposal. But I, I know that, like you said, it might be a little too early because you'll you'll kind of tailor it around the quarterback. But what what is the difference between? Um, what Mike Denbrock is doing right now with this offense versus what it looked like last season and and the seasons prior.
1: Yeah. Well, when they got here and obviously you go back and watch like Cincinnati and Notre Dame film from the last two years. And I think the main thing that stands out to you is the tight end usage and Denbrock and Kelly have used tight ends more in, in the past than LSU has, I think. And the problem with that is LSU doesn't have tight ends. That's probably their weakest spot on the entire team. Uh, by a good margin too. It's not really close. Uh, they really only have one scholarship tight end. Well, two now with a freshman Mason Taylor coming in. But like Cole Taylor is your only scholarship guy. Jack Mashburn is a guy they put on scholarship, was a walk on, and then they like I said they have a freshman and Mason Taylor coming in. So it's a room that you don't want to rely on. And so now with that being the case, I think they're gonna do a lot more four receiver type sets. You know, utilize the receivers. I don't think you can come to LSU with the history and pedigree of receivers that they have at LSU and be like, yeah, well, we're just going to, we're going to u- do what we do and play tight ends like, or play 21 personnel or 12 personnel. Like I just don't think you can do that. I think you have to have three or more receivers on the field that I, uh, most of the time just to utilize the offense. So um, last year's offense might've been, you know, with Jake Pete, it was just such a weird combination where like, Borgeron didn't trust him, and then like he wasn't sure exactly what to do. He didn't trust Max Johnson and everything. A lot of RPOs that they couldn't figure out with the run blocking. It was a mess, an absolute mess last year. So I think, if nothing else, just to see some continuity and see them kind of get comfortable with each other is interesting. But that's the main thing from a personnel standpoint, is I would expect them to be more more spread than they have been in the past when it comes to Kelly and Denbronk.
0: I've heard some Auburn fans talking about it just when we've gone through the schedule and, and looking at LSU and that game. And I think just the the common sort of saying for LSU is, well, they're always going to have talent. You know, it's, it's Brian Kelly. It's year one might take a little bit might be early in the quarterback development, whatever. But they're saying, well, it'll be difficult because they've always got talent, particularly on defense. How is that set up for LSU right now? How many guys did they lose off that defense? And and I know that their defensive line, particularly at the pass rush, might be their strongest um spot on the roster maybe but you just just walk me through what they've got on defense i lost you know they lost Derek stingley one of the best uh defensive players in the country but seems like they've recruited well over the past few years and it wasn't too bad of an exodus but but is yeah. is that still going to be a strong suit for them and how much work do they have to do on that side of the ball
1: yeah they lost uh stingley like you mentioned who um didn't play la- didn't play much last year and then uh, uh damone clark who was a finalist for the buckus award um, he would have been a second round pick if he didn't have. He had a back surgery that's going to make him miss the, the first uh, his first year in the NFL, which sucks. And then uh, Neil Farrell was a really good defensive tackle. Glenn Logan missed a, lot, a little bit of time at defensive tackle as well. Andre Anthony got hurt for the second half of the year. Defensive end, um, he was good. So you look at that. Eli Ricks uh, missed the second half of the year. Um, I'm probably missing somebody, but yeah. So it was plenty of injuries, and the defense like you mentioned man this the defensive line is is should be on paper one of the best defense lines in the country like i'm just you know every time i look at this defense line i just get more and more excited because it's jaqueline roy is going to be a top three round draft pick at the very least mason smith as is going to be a sophomore when he becomes eventually draft eligible Mason Smith will be a first round pick in my opinion. This dude is a five star. He's absolutely incredible. B.J. Ogolari um who plays like a defensive end outside linebacker flex position. I know a lot of I think of the easiest way to describe Matt House's defense and B.J. Ogolari in it is if you remember those Kentucky defenses which Matt House was a DC for and you remember Josh Allen at defensive end slash outside linebacker. That's going to be what B.J. Ojolari is playing, and that's I honestly think he has good potential to play as well as Josh Allen did on those Kentucky defenses. So you have those three, and then you have Ali Gay, who I think would have been uh, an NFL draft pick if he didn't get hurt last year. So he came back, and I think I've seen some mocks with him in a as a second or third-round guy. In theory, you have four guys here that are going to be very, very, very good. And then you bring in Makai Wingo from Missouri, who was an all-freshman team selection at defensive tackle. And, you know, there's some other names. I won't just list them all, but the defensive line is absolutely, absolutely incredible. And that's that's what this defense is going to be built around is getting pressure on the quarterback and just winning your one-on-ones with these guys. Um, You know, we could talk about the back end later, but uh, it starts with those guys.
0: Yeah, I guess we'll go right to that. I'm um, talking about the linebackers and the back end of this defense. We, we've sort of talked about this with everyone we've had previewing Auburn's schedule because we're still in the early part of the schedule. So Auburn's in a similar situation. They might have a quarterback at this point, but he's not going to be completely comfortable with the offense. It's not, you know, he's not going to have weeks of experience um, at this point. They'll probably still be leaning on the run game, especially against what is going to be a really talented pass rush. Um in LSU because unless it's Robbie Ashford for Auburn the Oregon transfer there's not a lot of athleticism from Zach Calzada or TJ Finley to be able to move outside the pocket. Do you perceive that LSU might have an advantage on the back end in this game against Auburn? Auburn's got some shaky receivers. Um, I guess what does LSU bring to the table there? Like you said, they lost Stingley and Ricks, which Stingley you know of course. Um, last season. Also,
1: another player I forgot to mention was Cordell Flott in the yeah. slot who ended up going, I believe, in the third round, early mm-hmm. third round in the NFL draft, who actually had a pretty good year last year. He started almost all of the games. So, yeah. yeah, you throw him in the mix. And with that being the case, they had to go transfer portal, like I mentioned. You know, Joe Fusha from uh, Arkansas, Greg Brooks from Arkansas, Makai Gardner from uh, Louisiana Lafayette, and a Drick Bernard Converse, a first-team All-Big 12 from Oklahoma State. So you replace those four positions. You return Jay Ward at safety, and who I think is a good coverage guy. It's a question mark, I think, still. As much as I think the talent is there, I mean, you know, Fuchsia and Brooks from Arkansas, are they've established themselves as SEC starters. Like Arkansas last year, their defense was good enough, and it was a, a lot because of Fuchsia and Brooks as playmakers. So you add them, and I think expectations are very high for them to be um, quality players. Bernard, like I said, is a first-team All Big 12 player on one of the best defenses last year at Oklahoma State. And Makai Gardner was an all, S, all All Sun Belt selection. I think he has really good size. I watched him a lot in the spring, and I'm I was impressed. So on paper, I think the def- the defensive backfield should be set. Like I think they should be good. Now, obviously, as we know. A lot of the production from corners and safeties and those defensive back positions are a lot of times what from the um, are products of the coverages they're in, are products of the defensive lines production and products of the down and distance. And I think if the defense, if Matt House's defense can put them in favorable situations, I think they're gonna be very, very solid. Like I don't think there's a Derek Stingley here. Like there's not a first round draft pick by any means. Like you're not getting even the Eli Ricks here. But you have a bunch of solid players who should be solid SEC starters, and with that being the case, I look at it as not being a a huge strength by any means, but because of the experience and because of just what we've seen them do already, not only in the previous season but also in spring, because of that, I can't see this being a weakness for them
0: I wanted to pop this one in here just real quick before we talk about the schedule. Um, yeah, Auburn's got for the second straight year in LSU transfer. What can you tell Auburn fans and, and the listeners about Coy Moore? Um, I know it was an interesting season for him last year because I think he was the first guy to transfer. Yeah, one I thing to, I don't it's know. Like, yeah, October 15th or something like that, super early. His 2020 was really good, though, and then his, his, his 2021 kind of digressed. Just tell us a little bit about, about what he brings to Auburn and, and whether you think he can make an impact this season
1: he can be a possession receiver, I think. And um, obviously I don't have like LSU's depth chart or anything in front of me here, or I'm sorry, Auburn's depth chart in front of me, but yeah, he can definitely be a possession type receiver, someone who has pretty reliable hands. Uh, He's not a burner by any means, but I think he's can be a smart enough player. I think in 2020, he showed that enough. If he can get his, if he can run routes at a high level, which I think he could in theory, I think he has the hands to, be one of those third down type receivers that you might go to, whether it's in a slot position or just um as a backup outside receiver. Um I'm interested to see how he does. I, I'm not sure I, I like I said that 2020 season showed me enough potential to where I'm like, okay, he can play at an SEC level. I'm not sure exactly what happened in the 2021 season where that caused him to leave. So I can't speak on that. But if nothing else, I think he has he has the he has the ability to a degree, I mean, he has the ability to, to play at an SEC level, which he's proven in in 2020. So, I, I think he, I think he's a, a fine player, and I I would expect him to at least be in the rotation for Auburn.
0: All right, so this schedule for LSU Auburn is not the first SEC game of the year for them. Um, they've got Mississippi State at home before that. Um, fun non conference game to open the season. It's actually on a Sunday. It'll be kind of a, a home game for LSU. It's in the Superdome yeah. in New Orleans. They play Florida State. Um, they have, they've also got a couple buffer games in there against Southern and against New Mexico, and then they go to Jordan Hare on the first Saturday in October on Week Five. What do you make of this schedule overall um, for LSU? And I mean, what what do the win totals kind of look like? What are what are just the general expectations? I know that maybe win loss isn't as important in year one as you know, showing obvious growth as a program, but what do you think Brian Kelly's up against in terms of uh, the difficulty of the schedule?
1: Well. Don't tell LSU fans when win-loss when total doesn't matter here because they're going to be at the next. If they go 6-6 six and six again, they, they might say something on fire. <laughs> something might be on fire. But uh, the Vegas win total is at 7 right now, which I think is fair. Yeah. Um, I, I think, and obviously, I think anybody who covers the team is usually a little bit more positive. So I'm at 8 wins, which still is, I think, lower than a lot of, of LSU fans and a lot of LSU writers. Um, I'm at eight pretty comfortably here Uh, to talk about the schedule though, especially the schedule before Auburn. This is where they have to get their wins. Like this is these four games have to be wins pretty much on the schedule. Florida state, they're going to be about three point favorites, three and a half point favorites, Florida state. We know last year was a very disappointing year for them. And it was, it's going to have to be an LSU win. Like this can't be UCLA at least. I don't know. UCLA last year feels like a better team than Florida State this year, if that makes sense. And so I don't, I just don't expect LSU to lose that game. And so, with that being the case, then you go to Southern or then you play Southern, then you host Mississippi State and then you host New Mexico. Obviously, Mississippi State's an SEC school. Anything can happen in that game. I just think LSU should be able to win it. Um, and so you start off 4 0 in theory. And th- that really is the only scenario. You have to start off your 4 0 because. As we both know, I mean, once you get in the SEC, it becomes a damn not fun. It becomes not fun, uh, at least for, for the teams, all right? I mean, Auburn, Tennessee, Florida, Ole Miss, Alabama, Arkansas is a stretch. Like, it's just like you don't get a break. The two SEC teams – here, or the two East teams that they're going to play are Tennessee and Florida, like I mentioned. And that's those aren't gimmies. Like, I know Florida's not a world-beater right now, but Tennessee with Hendon Hooker is going to be really good. Um and then UAB, who not for nothing, I think is I've covered conference USA a lot at North Texas. UAB, even though they just lost Bill Clark, their head coach, UAB is a tough team, man. I'm not saying is gonna lose, but that's a tough team to play there. That's not a gimme. And then Texas AM, you end it with. So you have to win your first four games. Then you get into the SEC, the meat of the SEC, and you hope you can go four and four the rest of the way and end it with an eight and four record. And that would be a really successful year, in my opinion. For Brian Kelly's
0: first season, yeah, I think you're exactly right. That repeating and not showing improvement is is kind of the name of the game. I think when you, especially when you bring in somebody who's as high profile as as Brian Kelly, certainly Auburn. You look at their their win totals are not very forgiving either. Even six, six and a half, depending on where you look. And if they do six and six again, you can almost guarantee Brian Harsin um, yeah. will be out of there. And so that game, I, uh, Barrett Sally from from CBS Sports was yesterday. Um, talking about the most important SEC games for for every team, and he put Auburn's as being LSU. Um, I like might that. I might be in a point of agreement there if, if you're looking at what it could do for the rest of the schedule. Same way, I think, on the LSU That's, side yeah. where, where they're starting off. And it, it's just at, at such a point in the season, the first game in October, where really, like you said, you're starting to get to the meat of that schedule where every week is a gauntlet. Um, I think this game can do big things for whoever wins it. I, 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 I don't know if the implications at the end of the year cuz I don't think either of these teams of course are expecting of course fans expect it but yet aren't aren't expected to be in contention for for an SEC title this season yeah. but it just seems like the momentum gathered from this game could be could be really big for for both of these programs and it's a stadium look Auburn Auburn has done well defending it at times but also LSU's had history of coming into Jordan here they're one of the few teams that can come in there and and they're not intimidated they can get a win in there I know we're still far out from this game but just just last last one here and then we'll let you go what are just your early thoughts on this matchup and and like we were just talking about the importance of it for for what is going to be the remainder of lsu's schedule
1: yeah well when we look at this matchup and this is something else i want to touch on it it'll be lsu's first road game of the year like florida state like you said is in this in the superdome then you have three straight home games then you go to auburn and I think you did a good job of kind of describing the importance from both sides here because if LSU, in theory, well, even if they if they go 3-1 and or 4-0 in those first four games, which I think are the two most likely outcomes, Auburn is going to be a game that decides, you know, the trajectory of the season. You know, I, I think once you get to that Alabama-Ole Miss-Arkansas stretch and A&M stretch, it's going to be really tough to pull out wins and so auburn is is going to be a game where it's going to show you immediately like can this team win eight or nine games or is this going to be a seven win team um now like i said before any any game that lsu goes into i think the defensive line is going to pretty much decide it if the defensive line can be as good as i expect them to be there's no reason that this defense shouldn't be in the top half of the SEC or a top five SEC defense. Like they have all the potential here. And Matt House is a very respected defensive coordinator. Uh, we we saw what he did at Kentucky a few years ago. Like he's just proven it. So you give him this level of talent in theory it should work out. And you know whoever Auburn's quarterback ends up being, I I think yeah obviously there's there's so many different options here. They're just like LSU in that in that respect where they are they do bring some different aspects as well it's going to come down to the offensive line in a lot of ways. And I think that's the same thing when you look at the other way, right? LSU is going to have to block when we, we haven't talked much about the offensive line, but they do, they did lose uh, four of their five stars from last year to the NFL draft Four of them, got drafted. And so they had to go to the transfer portal pool guys. They had to bring in Will Campbell, true freshman, a five-star guy that looks like he's going to play significant uh, snaps. So with all that being the case, I think it just comes down to who can block like, who can who can really protect whoever the quarterback is? Because uh, we know uh, they are going to be they. Both teams have some playmakers, and at the end of the day, it's just going to be who can get them into space, who can protect long enough for those big plays to happen. Because um, Bo Nix running around like Houdini uh, for forty yards, I went back and watched that game. It's it's even crazy when you go back and look at it, just because you just. Can't believe what just happened. Like he did it three it, or four times too. Yeah, it like, didn't even happen just once or twice either. Like it wasn't just the touchdown that everybody remembers. He did it one time to get out of a third down, like get a first down. It's just it kept happening and happening. What a game that was. But um yeah, anyways, I just think it's about who can protect better basically and give their playmakers uh, a chance because I think both teams um will have advantages on defense that I, I think they can take advantage of. Yeah,
0: I, I think you're exactly right. Defensive line is not it's not as strong as LSU's, I think just because of that, that pass rush. Um, But Derek Hall last year for Auburn was, was third in the league in sacks. Colby Wooden has, has routinely been their, their top graded Um, defensive guy, really productive. So I I completely agree. It's it's Auburn's offensive line is on the opposite. And they return a lot of starters, but they return a lot of starters from a group that was shaky. So, so you wonder, you know, what kind of effect that'll have um, this season. Yeah. I think the, the line of scrimmage in that game, as is the case in most sec games. Yeah, I
1: know it sounded um, kind of cliche after I said it, but I was just, I think every game for me is going to come down to those four defensive lines. Yeah. Like, if they dominate then they'll win.
0: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And for this team, you know, for these two teams, it matters because of the quarterback situation, still getting in a new guy at quarterback. You cannot have him running for his life because like you just mentioned, maybe Jaden Daniels could do that for LSU, <laughs> but there's, there's nobody on Auburn's roster that could do it. I mean, Robbie Ashford, maybe, but he's never played in a college game um, before. Yeah. I'm just, I was having flashbacks now of that game last season and, and how how great Bo Nix is going to be as a Pac-12 after dark quarterback this year just turning on my tv at 10 30 and just watching right. him run around the place against Washington State or something it's going to be right it's going to be prime entertainment but uh thank you so much to to Matt for hopping on today and um this is probably the episode I've, I've been most anticipating because we're finally getting into like you mentioned the meat of the schedule getting into these division opponents um that auburn fans love to hate like uh, like lsu so uh you guys can follow matt at matthew brun underscore on twitter and uh go 24 7 of course it's it's the it's the cajun the louisiana way of spelling um go it's lsu tigers 24 7 you guys go follow all their stuff we will of course loop back around with them when this game comes up in october and uh definitely looking forward to that matchup in jordan hair so thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the auburn undercover podcast if you guys enjoyed it Please leave us a five-star review. That is the number one thing that helps us out. The intro and outro music is by Beats by Mordecai. You guys can follow him on Twitter, SoundCloud, and Instagram. Until the next episode, we will talk to you guys later. Everybody have a great weekend.